Hello and welcome to Kill Your Silos, the only show that asks the fundamental question at the heart of every operator's mind. There must be a better way to manage all this shit. My name is Jason Reichel, the CEO of Go Nimbly, and I'm here to tell you there is indeed a better way. It's called Revenue Operations. Each episode, I will host one of the titans of revenue ops uh, and get the answers to how to do this thing. Uh, this week, I am joined by Angela Welch at Clio. Hello, Angela. Nice to see you. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me here. I'm super excited yeah. for this. All right, cool. Let's, let's, let's jump into it. And, you know, what is a conversation about revenue operations in 2020 and 2021 without asking, what is revenue operations to you? So let's start with the most basic, boring question so that we can tease out this very complex job. Think it's a boring question at all. Everyone has a different view on it. Um, for me, revenue operations is really the holistic view of how a company operates and how we as a company interact with our customers, um, whether that's marketing, sales, CS, finance, etc. Um, yeah, that's really what I how I kind of look at it, but I'm making sure that I always look at it from like a very holistic point of view. Cool. I am a, a big proponent of holistic view. I actually believe you know, why this now, right? Like why this since, you know, GoNimbly started talking about this in two, four and a half years ago, we called it the unified business stack. We were one of the first organizations to use the term revenue operations. We do revenue operations as a service for people. And I had to ask, why is the market paying attention to this now? It's like everyone for the last 15 years has been talking about misalignment between sales and marketing and all of these kind of things. But really, what was the catalyst that kind of pushed this over the edge? And I think it's that your customer demands a personalized buying experience that's gap-free. And what we don't understand is all these handoffs and systems that sales ops, marketing ops, customer ops, you know, biz ops, whatever you had in the past, create have fundamental breakpoints that your customers do experience, even subconsciously, that costs your team revenue. And revenue operations is sort of that holistic view, uh, a generalist mindset to the question of how do we deliver a gap-free experience to our customer while enabling our teams to be successful? Is that a similar belief you share? Is it is it for you very customer focused? Yeah. So for me, it's very customer focused. Like I really believe that the customer experience is king, um, and that really everything we're doing in RevOps come, kind of like comes down to that. And if you can really get into that customer experience um, along the entire uh, customer journey, then like revenue will come, those things will come, but you can't, um, like if you're delivering this like disjointed process from when they, you know, first hit your website to when they're, you know, renewing for you, with you for the third year, you're going to end up with just, you know, unloyal customers, people like less, less, willing to buy, things like that. So I really believe that customer experience- And no real control. I mean, as far as SaaS companies go, you really start to lose control of the LTV of your customer, right? I mean, like a good or a good SaaS company can predict the LTV pretty successfully, but as those things start to creep up, suddenly you have segments that churn after three months when usually they used to be with you for 12 months or two years or whatever the case might be. And it usually is pointed at some friction they experienced in the initial buying process because that sets so much of the tone of how the relationship is going to look, especially in the age where I think there are more products than ever before that can do a good job servicing the need of the customer. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing. I mean, like for me right now, I'm focused in customer success operations. And so what I see is a lot of that post, like directly post-sale, um, that period 
can end up causing all this friction because you have in your traditional business, your marketing and your sales operations more aligned. Then you get this customer success operations coming in and the customer success experience. And they're often re-asking the same questions, doing similar things. And that's where you start seeing that early churn, you know, the first three to six months um, or people, you know, wanting, you know, requesting to cancel in that period of time. And a lot of it does end up coming from the disjointed uh, relationship between sales and onboarding, enabling customer success, whatever you want to call it. GoNimbly has mostly found success working with very enterprise grade organizations. You know, our starting price point for a subscription is like 28 to 30K a month. So we're working with, you know, the Zendesk of the world. I have a belief and a desire to that revenue operations is for everyone. The reason I do this podcast, the reason I'm on panels is to help people implement it as early as possible. Although they aren't a market fit for GoNimbly, I believe that you know, having done this for as an example, Twilio, they could have saved millions of dollars of spend had they implemented revenue operations sooner. With that being said, a lot of it is focused on B2B enterprise in the world that I live in. What's it like to be a revenue operator in a segment where maybe you don't have, you know, you know, the Ubers of the world using your piece of software like Twilio does or PagerDuty does where the, you know, it's really an enterprise check they're writing. You know, it's pretty easy for someone to say, oh, we want a great customer experience when someone's writing you a check for, you know, $45,000 a year. What's it like on the other side of that? Yeah. And I mean, that's the question that we are really asking ourselves at Clio right now. So somebody referred to it to me yesterday as B2B to C. So when realistically you're, we're B2B, you know, companies, but our businesses that we're selling to are often one person or maybe five people. They're so small. And so their um, monthly contract value is actually like, so it, it's very small. So it's how to look at those different, like that segment of customers and apply revenue operations to it in a transactional way that like we can have some of our sales cycles are like two weeks long. Like a four week sales cycle for us is a long time. So you, right? so you, make, up, you make it up in velocity and you make it up in a volume of, of opportunities closing, but you have to do that at scale, right? And that's the difficult thing, I guess, for uh, from your position, as well as what's a two week buying cycle look like? How many gaps did the customer really experience in that in that process? It's easy for me to point at a two month cycle and go, okay, here we didn't get back to the customer for three weeks and we didn't create urgency and we didn't do X, Y, Z as a revenue operations person. So what are some of those themes that you're teasing out that really do impact, say, let's say either a sub uh, contract value of less than $500 a month or really fast velocity cycle? Yeah. So again, I'm coming at it from the customer success operations side of RevOps. Um, but I know that really one of the key things that we're looking at is like how to leverage our different types of customers, regardless of how much their value is. Right. So we work mm -hmm. with lawyers specifically. So we have gone ahead and created like quick start programs with so group training and you can have all of our documentation, everything. And so onboarding often uh, for us is actually only happening with the customers that really need it. And that's really what this is, is that at some point you have to look at your customer success operations and figure out kind of where is it most valuable to spend your time? Is it with, you know, maybe it's with your 20 plus, you know, lawyer firms, but if they've got a whole team set to do this and they've got, you know, tech savvy people on board. Do they need as much yep. time as a two person firm that is, you know, they're all 70 years old. Uh, they're yeah. just as valuable as like, they're just as good of clients because we have to keep that velocity up. Right. 
So it's really right. working yeah. on trying to figure out what are the other avenues that we can direct our customers down and then be there as support for them as opposed to always having to do all of the handholding regardless if they need it or not. That's kind of one big thing on the onboarding enablement side at Clio that we are really focusing on. How does Clio look at the role of CS? Do they look at it as a revenue generation role? And more particularly, do you view it as a revenue generation role? Yeah, so we have teams within our customer success department that are revenue generating. They do, you know, they're selling cross-sell and, you know, or sending it back to sales for the upsell, but identifying opportunities. So I actually truly think that the CS organization, I mean, especially if we look back to 2020 and everything that happened and anyone who hasn't given their CS organization a big uh, hand on the back is kind of missing something in the revenue cycle. Because sure, it's not net new revenue coming in the door, but the amount of customers that we can save that we by giving them that proper experience, the amount of customers that we can have you know, really enjoy the time with us, that makes a huge difference, especially when you're in a tight vertical, right? So like in for Clio, like we are in a tight legal vertical. We're not, you know, um, and so what it's going to end up looking like is if the company wants to grow, it's going to have to be whether there's a new product or whether there's a new offering, right? Those are the kinds of things that are going to allow us. But you can't do that if you have unhappy customers because your customer base after a certain point becomes like who you're also selling to. Your total adjustable market, you know, includes your customers. So I think that it's a huge misstep not considering customer success teams as part of the go-to-market and as part of the revenue functions. Yeah. One of the things that um, we created and uh, methods that we deploy at our customers is something we call 3VC, which is a way of, we look at it from when someone's you know not aware of your business at all, essentially, and you're trying to prospect to them, all the way through CS becoming an advocate of your organization. And then what we typically do is go, okay, what's the volume of this? What's the value of this? What's the velocity and what's the conversion rate? And what we do is we compare it for all of our organizations against themselves in the last six months so we can identify trends that, that their customers are saying by their dollars, either by not converting or not going through that stage or whatever, they're saying, hey, there's a gap here. There's a problem I'm experiencing. There's a friction I'm experiencing. What are some of the KPIs and ways that you drive and prioritize within your, you know, within your realm and within the broader Clio operations team? Yeah, so I think that some of the KPIs that we really look at is like how our customers are utilizing the software within their first couple months. How do we identify those people who might be at risk that's really what it comes down to, right? Like, yes, we can sell them in this like kind of high velocity way and get them across the line. But the KPIs we're really looking for is like, how are our customers using our product? Are they happy with it? Are there points when we need to have a reach out to them and really get them in, you know, get the Clio team involved um, to guide them through using it? So that's kind of like for us, like where we really focus a lot of our attention on um, is yeah, looking at how great um, or how well our customers are utilizing the product. Um, so I come from product management. Um, my background before Go Nimbly was I was VP of product at a couple of organizations. And we did everything through the lens of what features are being requested, what features are going to generate us revenue, what features are going to have adapt- adaptability. And then we did it based on, okay, what gaps are is our product missing? And so I became a very big fan of gap thinking and, and applying that in the revenue operations sense seems to be working at scale by generating a lot additional revenue. Uh, the same way I think that marketing attributions kind of work for marketing teams to say, look at this, we've generated all this revenue because we implemented X. Um, 
So that seems to be working. So how do you go about, you know, identifying and approaching this uh, gap analysis, so to speak? Yeah. So I think that, you know, so like kind of like what I was saying before, we look at a lot of it as we look at like how our customers are using it. And that's how we're finding a lot of the gaps in like where, you know, where things are falling through, um, really looking at like. So expectation that- versus actual, like reality is, yeah. is that sort of. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, definitely like an expectation versus reality. Like if we assume that an onboarded client is going to like do X, Y, and Z, and then all of a sudden we're realizing, oh, they've been using this feature for the, you know, we see it first three months and then there's this drop off. Where is that, you know, what is causing that gap? And, you know, then we, yeah. So that, that's the kind of stuff that we're really looking for, um, for our gap analysis on the post-sale side is just like, where do these gaps come up? What are the key points when we're losing people? What are the key features of our clients that we are keeping? And how do we, um, you know, how do we make everybody follow those things? So it's really like identifying where these key gaps are and where people kind of drop off or what features we have that are going to make people as sticky as possible, right? And then how do we encourage those if they haven't, if they're not getting adopted by certain points? So we really try to look at like the different points along the customer journey um, and then, yeah, identify through those where are our gaps and what's happening and where do we need to have product come in and give us more, um, you know, a feature update to something. Maybe it's hard to use. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's just like not the best user experience that we could possibly have. Um, maybe it's just not visible enough and they don't know to use it, right? So there's all these different things that can be looked at, but we really do it from like a very um, usage-based uh, lens. And, and probably, you know, because you're sounding very much like a, a product focused uh, gap thinking, here's with the expectation, here's the reality, then you probably try to combine enough of those into some kind of thematic thing that you can operationally solve at scale, right? Is that how the, how you approach your own work? Not maybe how the CS team, you know, they handle everything that comes to the door, but how do you decide the things that you're going to operationally solve versus that? Because I'm sure you're getting those kind of things all, all the time this expectation, this actual, this expectation, this actual, how do you actually decide which things to address operationally? Yeah. And so I think that there is, you know, if we can find the key things that are going to relate to something like turn something, you know, that we can really bring back to like a key metric, that's where we can go and be like, okay, this actually has the biggest impact. Um, But I also like what you were saying about how do you kind of group things together? And I think that that's something that I utilize a lot in my revenue operations CS ops way of thinking is where can we like, can we pick apart a couple of little things and then figure out what those themes are? How do we tie them together? And then we can create a project where it's like, instead of just trying to fix how clients use payments, maybe we're actually looking at like, how do lawyers use payments? What is the research behind this? Where can we like, you know, do something in Salesforce for how we're communicating with them? Is the product going to be involved? Then you can kind of look at like, again, that holistic view of like, how do we solve for a problem? Um, as opposed to, and that's where you kind of come up with those operational things. I think a lot gets lost when we try to just identify, identify these small little things and we try to address them all individually because that is actually against revenue operations. That does not make, um, your flow. I love, I love, I love when you say something that, uh, I totally agree with. Uh, yes, (laughs) hundred percent. Uh, it's against revenue operations. This is just interesting because we don't usually have CS ops, rev ops people on the show because it is. That is, I think you're 100% right. There are two elements of an organization where revenue can really be driven that are going to happen in the next five years. It's the revenue operations side and it's the customer success side. So to be RevOps on the CS side is an amazing 
advantage you have to the future. So congratulations to you. <laughs> but but it's it's a two places in a business that can really become a value differentiator, especially as companies try to make up for COVID. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever really recover to exactly where we thought we would be, but ultimately I think it's probably a lot of pressure. Do you welcome that stress test? Do you welcome that durability test both on, on your RevOps muscles and the CS team as a function? Yeah, I mean, when I, so I recently switched to this role. I was working kind of as a RevOps team of one before this. And then in November, I switched over to Clio to come and focus in on their customer success operations, uh, like the function within RevOps. And I absolutely, that's part of why I got this, I took this job is because I'm so excited for like, the pressure because it is a lot of pressure and every time you walk in a room it's like every problem i can put dollars aside everything i can figure out how is this going to impact our future and what is the you know innovative potential for all of these problems or opportunity areas um so it's a lot of pressure because yeah you come into a company and you come into you know a market where all of a sudden you are responsible for not just the customer success side but the revenue operations side and how to tie those two things together So I do welcome it. I actually like thrive off that. I love it. I think it's just, I'm very excited about what's happening in the, in in the SaaS world right now with the emergence of customer success, even though it's been around for a while, it's really coming out the gates. And I think 2020 had a lot to do with that. Yeah, totally. I mean, our customers saw, you know, 60% of their growth being driven from existing customer base. Right. So to not think that to go, Oh, it's just because of COVID and not go, Whoa, before when it was 24% of our, of our growth, what the, nothing's changed. (laughs) Like nothing changed. You could have got that 60%. You could have got that 40%. You could have got that 35%. Had you focused on it now only because you must, do you actually see the value of it? And I think that's for a lot of people, that's going to be a lightning rod. I guarantee you that there's going to be more investment in CS tools from VCs in the next three years than ever before. And, you know, the market is going to become what works and what doesn't work. Um, and it's going to be a very excited ride. I, I do want to, uh, this is not, I don't usually say this, but my, uh, marketing manager, my content marketing manager, Christy put a special note here. Usually we ask hey, what KPIs do you recommend to people? And she says here, note her thoughts here are interesting and a nice mix up from what we usually talk about with guests. Basically she takes a more human approach to being data driven. So what's she talking about so that I don't have to try to hand this, this, uh, this uh, into a question format. What's she talking about, about your approach to success metrics and the human impact on them? Sure. So one of the things that I kind of stake what I do on is the human inputs and human elements of the system and the system of our, you know, customer success operations or revenue operations as a whole. And I have this really strong belief that like one of the things that happens when companies make this decision to be data-driven is they kind of forget how you become data-driven. Who's putting the data in the system? And so you go, we need this metric. We need these notes. We need this filled out. We need that filled out. And without realizing what that, what's that putting on the human impact and the more um, impact, like the more it negatively impacts our human inputs in the system, the worse the data is going to be. And if you actually spend some time working on projects that are focused on increasing our, you know, the experience of our internal teams and of our human inputs in the system, you're actually going to have better data outputs in the end. So that's really yep. what I'm talking about. I think that that's one of the reasons why CS has not gotten the attention in SaaS as it deserves is because SaaS companies don't like to deal with the reality that you can't control human beings the same way you control code. 
and you can't just ask for more inputs. And also, why do you think you need all those inputs? Just because you can have every key API under the sun or every box checked in a system, what is the action? What is the behavior change that you're actually asking for? And is it for the customer or is it so that you can justify your own internal silos within an organization? It's a massive amount of pressure that's put onto these CS teams for, you know, especially support teams like that are getting those calls in. Um, you know, with a question or an answer, and they expect to have like every customer lead every interaction being perfectly happy. And I think some of the best interactions that we get records of is ones where, I mean, we'll have comments back from customers being like, my problem wasn't solved, but this person was so fantastic. Like, that's okay. If you can, if a support person can approach these conversations with the customers in a human way, right, you might not get the, the customer might not get the result they want in the end, but that's okay. Because we're all in a continuous evolving state, right? All of our SaaS companies are not perfect. Like no one has a perfect tool. Um, so everyone's allowed to have something to complain about. And it's really Absolutely. about like how to do that. But the problem is that when we put this pressure and you know, on our support people on our front lines that they need to have every person leave everything happy, that's where you get these like extended tickets and all of this stuff, you know, it's, it gets so convoluted and. I mean, I know at like my previous company, we ended up having this thing where it turned out that like we, uh, some of our support people and our enablement people were writing like custom HTML for our customers when that was not part of our product offering at all, but they were doing it because the customer wanted it and they're only in their mind, their only objective was to have a happy customer. But that isn't necessarily the main thing. You want to have a great customer and you want to have a great customer experience. But they're also like yeah, you said, every CS team should, should know that the goal, the real goal, if you run a successful SaaS company is to get those inputs so that you can make the product and the experience better down the line. And you can't do that by obfuscating the feedback. I think it's really comes down to the level of trust you've built with that team. Um, so like I know at my previous company, me and my CCO, um, it was like one of those relationships where I could absolutely be like, hey, like. I don't think this is right. Like, you know, you can keep doing it that way, but our customer experience is in jeopardy or our, you know, this is not going to work the way you want. Like it, it's a good idea and it's a good plan, but we don't have the research or the whatever behind it. And having that like ability to have those open conversations where you leave feeling like, shit, I just, like, I just told the, C the CCO, you know, that his idea was wrong, but that ends up being so key. And that actually develops trust over time. Like you're saying, it makes them see yeah. you as human, but it also makes them see you as somebody who, if you're saying this, you obviously care and like have a belief in that. And I think that's something that I've brought along with me in to Clio in how I build relationships. Like I want to build an open, honest, trusting relationship. Like I tell people what I'm not good at and I want to be able to tell them when they're suggesting something that isn't gonna work or that needs to be rethought. Um, and to have that back and forth, I think is really what makes the biggest difference um, in how you address that, those kind of like big elephants in the room where you have to tell somebody their idea isn't great or have a conflict of some, you know, of some sort. And it's also the other side of that, which I'm kind of going off topic, but like the other side of that is being able to have those conversations and know that if you get told by the client, by your parent or by your CEO, like CEO or whatever, like, no, this is what we're going to do. You have to be able to go, okay, cool. Got it. And you go with it. Um, you know, having pushing to a limit and then, and, and having them know you can push to a limit and then I'll back off and having, you know, knowing for yourself what that limit is, I think is really important. Yeah. The advantage that the revenue operator has is if it is true of their hypothesis, because like we go in with hypothesis, our job is not all science, but 
we'll continue to see that problem continue to emerge. And I always tell my team, don't worry about being so forceful. Like tell people the information because assume that everybody is making the decision based on faulty information or, or experience, but that doesn't apply in here. Like everybody uses experience all the time. I talked about this in, in several panels. There's a maturity of an organization. And the first place that we are as a maturity of an operations team and as a, a company is intuition-based. Everyone is just kind of going off how they feel and everyone has good intent and they're in, you know, it's this energy. And then eventually you get to this experience base. I've done this before. This is how we did it at LinkedIn, so on. And you listen to that because what else are you going to listen to? And ultimately, an uh, organization's goal is to get to customer-based, which is the highest level of maturity of an organization, which is we're going to listen to the feedback. Now, that might validate our experiences. That might validate our intuition. But we're not starting with the problem being my experience tells me to do this or my intuition does that. So I always tell people, think of yourself as a doctor. If you come into a room with a cancer patient and, and you go, hey, I really think you need to get on chemo. And they go, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that for myself. I want to keep going down the path. I want to go down. Yeah. Know that you can keep recommending that. It's not like a one-time recommendation. You go, fuck it. I'm never going to say it again. Yeah. Right? So you can go, hey, okay, let's continue down the path because maybe your hypothesis is wrong. Maybe they will get better. Maybe... Miracles happen all the time. Nobody could predict, you know, COVID really. And so shit happens in life that you have to roll with. And you're not always right as this operator, but you're also, you know, have the benefit of time and data on your side to make the case more apparent over time. You know, everyone's level of risk is different. So you might have a COO who wants the information. As soon as you say, I don't think we're going to hit our numbers. They might change the entire game plan. Another one might go, I hear you. I'm going to stick with my plan. You go, okay, I'll make that happen to the best of my ability. Three months down the line, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, there's some changes, there's alterations I need to make. And yeah. I think that's part of working in a team, in a collaborative team, to not feel ownership. I think one of the most uh, valuable skills of a revenue operations person is to not feel ownership, but to feel uh, passion for the processes, feel passion for the technology, feel passion for the education and the insights that they can drive, but not to know that it's all kind of being driven by your actors. Like, I again, my favorite analogy when I have to explain this to my grandma or my mom is, a revenue operator is like the director and all the GTM team are like the actors and a great director can make a shitty movie because they have terrible actors who aren't listening to them, or they can choose to work in partnership and get the most out of the actors they have on the playing field. Yeah. Right. And that might mean that you don't get the line read exactly the way you think it should be read. And you have to be okay with that. And you have to learn how to still make the, the, the project work and you know, the investment that everyone's made be successful. Let's play a game. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. This is Kiss, Mary Kill. Have you ever played this game back in yes. college, maybe? Okay. Uh, usually has an inappropriate title. This one has a very PC LinkedIn title. What I'm going to do is give you a category, give you three items, and you tell me if you're going to kiss, marry, and kill, which of the items. So right. as an example, if it was you know, Snoopy, Woodchuck, and Charlie Brown, you would say, I'm going to kill Charlie Brown, marry Woodstock, and kiss Snoopy. Do right. you understand? Okay. Yes, I understand. Uh, that's not the topic. The topic oh. is going to be RevOps. Uh, is the first one. Here we go. Kiss, Mary, kill. Paper okay. doc, Loom video, or meeting. Sorry, what did you say? Paper doc. Paper doc, like a like a Google doc or a, yeah. a Dropbox paper doc. So, okay. marry marry the document. Marry kiss or marry kill a video or a in person meeting. That's kind of kind of the the categories there. Ooh. Kiss, marry, kill. Okay, so marry a meeting. I'm, I love a good meeting. Um, I would kill the document and kiss the video. Kiss the video. Do you yeah. do a lot of short video things? Are you, or do you use video as a RevOps person? 
Um, in my previous company, I did a lot because it was easier than me trying to like type out these like extended long when I can just go and show and click. And um, yeah. yeah, that was my bread and butter there. All right. This next category is SaaS things. Okay. So it's sassy things. Here we go. Uh, which of these sayings will you kiss, marry, and kill? Okay. Double click, low hanging fruit, or nice to e meet you? Um, that's a tough one because, okay, nice to meet you, kill. That's terrible. Um, and then I guess I would kiss low hanging fruit. What was the third one? Double click. Double click. Yeah, we can marry that one. But I, yeah, nice to meet you is a hard pass. In your relationship, if your partner said, if you said something and they said, we need to double click on that, would that be a good thing or a bad thing for you? I don't even know what that would mean. Like, open like uh, so yeah, like, let's go deeper. I think <laughs> that's what that means, right? I've never had anybody say that to me. So oh, really? I've never used this it, never a, had anybody say it. So I have no... Um, sometimes when sometimes when Christy puts these questions together, I feel like she's making fun of me. And as I read it to you, I'm like, oh shit, do I say double click too much? It really is a <laughs> it really is a terrible thing. Okay, next category. You ready? Okay. Work from home. Yeah. All right, work from home. You're working from home. You're not in the office. You're in your home office, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Standing desk, regular desk, or couch? Uh marry regular desk, kiss standing desk, and kill couch. Oof. You don't do any work from the couch, huh? I can't because I just want to watch TV. And then as soon as the TV's on, I am not in work mode. That is, and like, because I found that working from home, I need to have my work zone and my not work zone. And my couch is my not work zone. So no, I do. Don't turn that couch into a work zone. That's terrible. No, it's my, don't, I love don't that couch. That. It's mine. It's my safe space. <laughs> last one, last category. This is pop culture. This okay. is movies. You said you like TV. Um, Horror, romance, or action? Movies, books, pop culture. Oh, okay. So horror, kill, straight up. Um, I don't like horror movies either. Who, who, they're so popular. They're so popular and I have no idea why. I who wants like, to be scared? It's not even like the scared. I have this really, I have a really hard time like separating myself from reality enough to believe the things that happen in horror movies because they try to almost pass them off like they want to be real. So then it comes to action movies where it's also completely unbelievable. Um, so I guess I would kiss action movies and I would marry romance. That was the third option. Oh, look at you. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, great. For sure. That's what the couch is for. You got to watch your chick flicks. Yeah, that's great. All right. The last part of the interview, and this is okay. the one that usually stunts people. Imagine above your head, if you look up, there is a marquee and it's a piece of advice what would be on the marquee that you're going to give to everyone as they go out and venture into the world of breaking down silos and becoming a RevOps master? I'd probably say that customer experience is the one ring to rule them all. Ooh, that's a, that's, you just, you knocked that right in there. Yeah, uh, good job. Thank you so much, Angela. It's so nice to e-meet you. Um, <laughs> so nice to e-meet you as well. Yeah. And I can't wait to see you out there uh, um, uh, in Mordor as we uh, go through this, this whole thing. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Okay.